0: Hi, and welcome to the Spoiled Voters, a podcast based around the 2020 general election and the fallout after, as we prepare for life under the 33rd dawn. So, surely
1: somebody's going to crack soon. Like, so
2: there has to be. Uh,
1: so, just in the UK, for example, during the Second World War, it's I mean, on its last legs. So, it's wa- wanting to avoid any possible debate.
2: When have they ever not introduced? Austerity. The the
1: problem with Boris Johnson, he thought it was Princess Diana. More exception
2: to him referencing Winston Churchill, to be honest. A
1: a
3: pandemic can't uh, bring them together.
0: Hello and welcome to the Spoil Voter Podcast with me, Tiger Valley. This week I'm joined by our two regular guests, Shane Brennan and Callum Mackinson. Say hello, lads. How How are you doing? And this week I'm also joined by Rory Carberry, um, who's another DC journalism student that we know. Uh, Say well, Rory. Nice, thanks. How's it going, lads? Thanks for having me. Oh, no problem at all. Um, so this week, we've had another sort of interesting week in Irish politics, I think. Um, we've had a doll sitting, um, first in a while. Uh, we have the Labour Leadership Contest um, going on at the moment. The votes are coming in today. Uh, and we have, potentially, a government that might be formed in the next few weeks. Could be seeing something by the end of April, maybe, um, if if discussions continue to go well. So I think I'd like to I'd like to start uh, and we should look at the, um, the doll election, the, not the doll election, the uh, doll sitting that happened last night on Thursday. Um, so what do we think there was a lot of debate going around this um, and people were concerned about whether or not the doll should be sitting. I know I saw some people saying it should be sitting and it shouldn't or shouldn't be sitting. And I, I saw it was it was fairly split down the middle. Um, I I didn't see too many on either side one or one or another against it or for it so I thought maybe we should put the question to you you guys um do you, do we think that the dol sh- should have sat yesterday or was there any necessary reason considering it was just statements uh and there was no real debate held
1: um, to the floor i think based on most medical uh, advice you know we're always told we should only leave our house for essential reasons so surely the doll should only meet for essential reasons now I I, I do hear the argument on side for example last night uh, Catherine Murphy of social democrats was saying that you know you can't cocoon democracy was the sort of statement that she used and um, saying that you know leaders should be held to account in the doll. but in the age of modern technology and all the rest I don't see why the doll had to meet yesterday for things like Voting for T shock or anything else um I can see why the dog would need to meet. That's an essential need for the dog to meet, otherwise our government can't function but um but meetings like yesterday, I just think were completely pointless
3: And um, just on that medically you're- you're you're spot on there, but also I think it's further complicated by the fact uh now we just had an election and it's only a caretaker government so it's easy to make the the argument that oh this government it's it's on its last legs so it's wa- wanting to avoid any possible debate and just do as it pleases in its last days in, in office but i think there's there's an argument to be made on each side i think of course medically there shouldn't be any like it's a ma- it's a massive number of people in the one space so that's against it but then Politically, there's so many big uh, decisions being made at the moment that could not just affect this crisis, but it could affect the future as well. So, those should be overseen by elected people.
0: But do we, do we think that, that the needs to be sat, um, the, the doll needs to be sat in when the only thing that's being done is, is statements? Surely, holding stuff like that should only be reserved for when there's a serious need. And not just for political posturing.
3: Well, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, yeah, but, but statements can be an important part as well. Like, I think Stephen Donnelly made a, a statement where he was talking about one uh, nursing home that has two hundred people, and seventy of them have the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. If, if the doll hadn't sat, we wouldn't have. We wouldn't have got that information. So there is. There was, I think, there was a need for it. Whether it could have been done a different way, I'm not sure.
0: Well, I know, uh, I know they're looking into trying to figure out how to get it into a different location, like the convention center for, for t shop. So I don't see why they couldn't just do that again. But I mean, I assume there's there's logistical reasons for it, and there's maybe there's constitutional requirements that they have to look out for. But Rory, what are you? What are your thoughts on all of this?
2: Do you see it like, well, like a healthy medium? I can understand like Simon Harris's argument that like there maybe it wasn't necessary for people to have sat in the doll in physical their physical presence, but like was there organizational kind of structures there for them to do it over video conference? Like, and I do agree with the two lads that like there is an argument he made. Like, I, I there's been a narrative in the last number of weeks and it kind of pertains to journalists too that like we're all in this together and this is kind of you know everyone gets behind the government and we need to back the country at a time of such strife but like it's nearly transparency is nearly more important now than ever so like i can also understand the the tds who wanted the government to sit to kind of find out information about the response to coronavirus and stuff like that and i think the same can be said of like journalists having a very very important part to play in the current climate because like a, a, a no other time really in the last say 10 years maybe is information so important to the general public. So I can understand both parts of the, the argument and um, like, again, as Shane had, had said, you kind of have to go on the the medical advice of like, the chief medical officer and stuff like that. So I don't know. Did he come out specifically and say that the dolls shouldn't, shouldn't have met and sat? I don't know. But as I can say, as I said, I can, can see both sides of the argument. Um, I'm not 100 certain whether or not it was the right, the, the correct thing to do to sit in in person. But even yeah, still, I think. Ahead. Do we think that
0: I know the Attorney General Martin Fraser was the person who sort of started this whole debate off by saying the doll shouldn't shouldn't be sitting on Thursday. Do you think that that's overstepping? Uh, a civil servant is overstepping their bounds by saying something like that, by pushing out that
3: oh, the, the doll shouldn't be sitting. Um,
0: what what do we think
2: about that?
3: Um, I I don't know I I, I didn't see the comments but yeah an attorney general I'm sure he's I don't know if he was citing medical advice or whatever but I I don't think he should really be interjecting like that but also another thing at a time of crisis there was a great obviously the Greens have been advocating a unity government but I think that that uh, what was a missed opportunity to get it Apologies. If it was a go,
0: was the Secretary General not the Attorney General? Just to clear that up.
3: Um, if it was, um, if the government were, if they took the opportunity to form a kind of unity government with everybody involved, that'd take away the need for you know, uh, you know, the doll to sit maybe because there'd be differing voices in the in the ministries or not in the ministries around the, around the table. But um, it, I think, like, Regina Doherty, obviously she's perfectly within her rights to be still the minister. But she lost her seat in the last election, and she's making very consequential decisions uh, with regards to, you know, social welfare and stuff like that.
2: I think Shane Ross is in that category as well. Like, I, I don't know where exactly I took the information from, but I read an article yesterday saying that he'd already kind of, like, his... His portfolio had been reduced, so he's only kind of like this. Obviously, sport and tourism is more or less ground to a halt. So, like uh, there is a there is a valid argument to be made there that there's, there is people sitting in positions where they actually lost their their seat in the doll. So, like whether they should be still kind of running or uh, leading the the response is 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 anyone's kind of guess, I suppose.
0: Well, I think then what could be interesting would what would happen with a a new government being formed is that. How would these ministers who are now, who have now lost their seats um, and still are playing an important role, like you mentioned, Regina Doherty and Shane Ross, how, who, how will they be replaced? Because there they would need to be someone who is completely probably inexperienced brought in, um, bringing them into these roles to perform as a minister. But they're just getting their briefs. They're only going to be getting to know the office. So that also kind of brings in an argument, should should a government, how how do we balance this sort of, it's a fine balancing act, and how would these positions be rolled out, and would there be a kind of, not like a, obviously not a consultation period, but like a sort of a handover period where sort of things can be learned a bit easier, uh, the particular brief much quicker?
1: Well, I think during a crisis government, like a compromise could be made where You know, in many other countries, such as in the UK, for example, during the Second World War and things like that, I know that was obviously a quite different type of emergency than what we're in now. But parties who wouldn't have worked together under any any other circumstance all came together for that short period of time to manage out the crisis. What could have been done is each each of the parties all took a role of, of having cabinet role positions where they could criticize each other in the cabinet without having the dull meeting, but keep on the old ministers In, like, the likes of Shane Ross or Regina Doherty as advisors throughout the the period. Surely, these people are public servants, which is what all politicians say they are. They will give themselves to that period to make sure that there's a bit of a transition and we can get through the crisis and then move on. Having a one party um, cabinet throughout all this, yes, gives some stability, but again, it gives the other parties a reason to call the doll into what I feel is it was an unnecessary meeting yesterday, was obviously people need to be held to account. As Callum said, Stephen Donnelly's statement uh, and things like that. Whereas if you had people from all parties, including the three big parties and one or two of Green Social Democrats, Labour in the cabinet, working together, criticising each other and having one movement towards fixing the crisis, you would need dull uh, meetings like this. And then the old ministers could help. And an advisory role, obviously don't change the, the sort of big ones like T-shock and Minister for Health for this crisis period, and we can go back to, to government formation talks again once it's over. But I mean the, the way that things I think politics in the way the parties aren't talking to each other is still hasn't been put aside enough yet to say that this is that we're going through you know a crisis in a world global crisis. During a global crisis, you should be able to move party leaders aside and what's said in the election and just work together to try and get something done and we can go back to politics as usual uh, later on. That's not happening. Even the way the government is is being formed, they're still excluding Sinn Féin. And so that gives the opposition a reason to call the doll, try and call out what Fine Gael and the past government are doing. So, I mean, as much as I think it was unnecessary, I think Fine Gael sort of walked into it by the way that they're handling the political side of dealing with the the crisis instead of... uh, Because I think, obviously, the actual crisis itself, the government is is doing comparatively well in comparison to the way other countries are doing. But in the sort of the the political side, you know, Leo Fracker was talking about unity in the speech he made on St. Patrick's Day, you know. And although it was a good speech and it was was rousing up, he has to practice what he preaches, and I don't think he's doing that enough.
2: I think as well, like, just to, to... Touch on follow on that, like in terms of we're going to touch on it later on, but in terms of government formation between Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, Varadkar has already said he said that he, he thinks he needs a wider base, a broader base to form a government and, and to have legitimate legitimacy as to what whatever uh, government is formed in the next coming weeks. So, like, if you're concerned about not having the the, the wide enough base for, for to, to garner public support, then I think. Excluding a significant chunk of the voter block is a bit of a, a a confused way to go about what you think needs to be done.
0: It it, it definitely seems that way. Um, and you actually you touched on government formation, which is what I wanted to talk about next. Which now we have a a a, a significant block of Fine Gael and Finnefol who are actively in talks to develop a uh, program for government and they seem like they're prog- things are progressing and it's, it seems to be working. But we have had Fine Gael say yesterday, and over said that there would need to be a third party involved. And I don't know um, which party is going to become involved here because they've ruled out Sinn Féin. Um, the Greens are stepping out just because um, the, party, the party support wouldn't be there and they're not willing to go into government with Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. Um, I, I, from what, my, what I would have thought, they seem to be take been taken advantage of. Oh, that's maybe what they, they might might think, considering that all throughout the, the after the aftermath of the election, people were going, "Ah, the Greens will walk into government with them. Are oh, they walk into government?" And I think Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil took that for granted, um, thinking that they get an easy pass just to get the Greens in and everything would be hunky dory. But that doesn't seem to have coalesced. And now the two um, two parties, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil, are kind of stuck in this zone where they need another um, another member of the coalition. But there seems to be very few willing participants, and a single group of independents won't cut it. Because with the regional group, they'll only have eighty one, which is a very very shy minority majority, and with something like a group of independents, their views vary wildly from one another. They could be completely different, um, but they're just from a similar sort of area. Um, so I think I think one thing that we need to look at is who is going to be this third party, because realistically, somebody needs to step up to the plate here and not be a mudguard, but you know, put their put their neck out and really. Go into, uh, try and go into government with Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil for yeah, a proper it, uh, rainbow coalition.
1: It definitely seems like the unsquareable circle because, you know, the Greens, as you said, rule themselves out. Labour have ruled themselves out. Social Democrats have ruled themselves out. Sinn Féin have been ruled out by both Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael and Sinn Féin themselves because they don't want to prop up a Fianna, Fianna Fáil government. Um. So it's it's weird. I don't know who's going to crack first. I mean, during the election, I know Brendan Howland, the Labour leader, was saying that, you know, that the centre left group could come together as a negotiating block. Now I can see a couple. Of, now I don't really see that happening because again, they're all don't want the probable a, a Fianna Fail Gael government, and if they do that, they leave Sinn Fein being the only party in opposition. So that, politically, that's not great for them. The Greens and Social Democrats were talking about coming together a few weeks ago. That's now out. Um, so I don't really see a solution to this. Um, what's interesting to see is the poll that came out over the weekend. I know Fine Gael are up 13 points now. There is a pinch of salt to that because obviously the crisis government will be getting up points, as we mentioned last week. But then again, during the polls, you have to wonder where, how much people remember that. The same way that they didn't remember Brexit um, for, for, for quite obvious reasons. So... I haven't got the answer, and I don't think anybody does. We don't really know what's going to happen here because none of the parties seem to be willing to talk.
0: But so, surely somebody's going to crack soon. Like, so there has to be a bit of crack somewhere.
1: But why?
3: What? Why would they crack though? Like, what? What? What does a Finefall and Finnegale coalition have to offer to these smaller parties? Like, I mean, Labour, Labour are going to have a new leader though who will want to put his own stamp on the party and he won't, He doesn't want to be rubbed into a government straight away the Greens, I, think ho-
0: as, I think that's quite presumptuous to think straight away because we don't know the results of the election just yet. Well, they both might have ruled it out during the campaign, but I, I still, I'm still not certain that both of, both Aidan Reardon and Alan Kelly are 100% convinced that they will not be there. into
3: government. The, the coalition has destroyed the Labour Party. Their
2: yeah.
3: last experience in coalition, Absolutely destroyed them. So I find it very hard to believe that a new leader will want to put them straight into a coalition. Then you have the Greens who like I don't know. Could Finafal and Finegel offer them some massive a massive bold strategy uh, in tackling climate change? Uh probably not if you consider the type of voters who Finafal and Finegel uh you know depend on. They're not gonna want to be going to want to rock the boat too much. And the Greens have also been burned in coalition in the past, so I don't see what, why they would uh, uh, want to go into coalition. Um, I, know, I know this is kind of, you know, could seem a bit selfish on the par- part of the parties, but also people who vote for the Greens predominantly, they don't want to see a Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael dominated government. You don't vote for the Greens if you want to see that. So they they can say they're just being true to their voters. I I, I don't see who would want to go in with Fianna Fáil and Finnegale, who are two fading forces in Irish politics.
0: But do we do we? The only party you haven't mentioned there is the Social Democrats, who also have six seats, and they would be. They would be a. They could be a major. They could. They could use that as a major bargaining chip in a. In a government, they would get also, ministries. They would. They would have. They would have some power in a government, and they have a massive bargaining chip.
1: They would be well, the they, a capstone of that government. You'd imagine they'd want the health brief for the start, but you don't know whether whether they're going to give it to them.
0: I suppose, yeah, with the time, at time like this, that that would be the one thing that would probably be the, the
2: draw it out for them. You'd think that. Well, obviously it'll be up to the negotiations, but you would think that from the like positive, like I don't know whether it's correct, but the positive media coverage that Simon Harris has gotten, that they that Fine Gael will be adamant that he's left in the brief that he's in, but whether that's that turns out to be the case, and um, like regarding the sock Dems, like and Labour. Both Kelly and Osnadi have said that they didn't want to get involved in the government, and I do agree with Callum that if Labour or Labour or the Greens go in with Fianna Fáil and Fianna again the coalition and it ends badly for them, it will just further wipe away any base support that those two parties really have. Um, but then again, the SOC all all these parties have voted with Fianna Fail or Fianna Fáil on you know like local council issues and stuff like that. So I wouldn't be surprised to see. A, back, a backtrack at some point if, if one of the parties or members of the party are offered some sort of favourable conditions for them to be involved in government
0: I mean we need to look at the, I think the only thing that we can we can't really rule out anything at this point just because we haven't seen the programme for government that they're presenting I think if also, it, they need to, I, I think considering the election that we had I think Fine Gael and Fianna Fall know they have to offer some kind of change they have to they haven't really got a choice because that, were, that was where the vote lay it didn't lie with politics from 2011 it didn't lie from politics in 2007 it's new people want something different they don't want a return to austerity they want public they, they want public spending they want um they want to see a, a change um in the way we do things
3: but, yeah. yeah um yeah. but on that we haven't yet seen the full uh effect of this uh crisis economically and do do people want to be want to be going into government into a, a fresh crisis where i don't know will they make have to make cuts to certain things uh, to uh you know pay back some of the things that they've done to mitigate the the crisis now so I, while it was it was at the election it was probably looking like a great time to be in government because we had uh, well. This was certainly the Fine Gael narrative that we've done the hard work and now we can go into. It. Well, now we can prosper. But now this crisis has kind of put a spanner in the works, really.
2: Like just to to further that as well, Ty. Like you, you did mention that they that there is an appetite for like no austerity in the coming months, but like Fine, Fine Gael's a modus operandi. Like what did they, they? They. I think it was Fia Kelly in the Irish Times. He was reporting today that both kind of Fine Gael and Fianna Ball said that they don't want to proceed with an, like an era of austerity after this all kind of settles down. But what are what are what? But like what do Fine Gael have in their their favor? What do they always put out to the to supporters around the election? Is that they're fiscally responsible? I don't think that there is any there like with the the central bank saying that they're going to there there's going to be a 22 billion deficit after this all settles down and that's as Callum kind of touched on before the show that that's based on the fact based on the restrictions being lifted in mid-June like Fine Gael don't when have they ever not introduced austerity to balance the books that's what they 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 tell themselves to be the party of fiscal responsibility so I just can't see a, a situation where a Gael government gets into power propped up by somebody else. That there won't be an era of extreme austerity after this all unfolds, which would be.
0: What awful. I thought was interesting about that article actually is that it it said that they they wouldn't, they would try to not appear to be introducing austerity, but they didn't say they wouldn't <laughs> introduce austerity measures. That was the whole yeah. thing: is that they would appear to not be introducing austerity measures, which I think is really really interesting. Mm-hmm. Is that it's all this. It's, it's all about appearances, um, yeah. which I think is really, really interesting, um, no matter whether they do introduce them or not. But I don't know where this sort of lies. The, this this whole thing is so muddy and inconsistent, and we've been left with such a bizarre makeup of our doll that we just... And because things are changing so rapidly, and we've had this massive crisis sort of come in, and I, like Callum said, throw a spanner in the works completely. We There's been a massive shift over the past month where we thought we would never ever be, I, I, I was thinking at the end of this month, ah, oh, will be the government will be sorted, no bother, and we'll be away, and we'll have yeah. plenty to talk about. But we're we're stuck, in the, we're stuck in the middle of a quarantine because a, a pandemic has occurred, and it, it it's it's just it's so bizarre to sort of watch this fallout of the election as a caretaker government continues to run um, and make these massive decisions.
2: But you see like even how much anger the vote, the, the wide, wide, wide support or a wide base of voters had for Fine Gael at the, at the, like the, the, during the election and lead up to it. And obviously how the vote went. But like, I've never seen this where a government seems to have been more or less rehabilitated like uh, online. If you look online, how much like for how how they've gone from one one end of the extreme to the other. Like, you know, like even people that I don't really necessarily believe would be massively interested in politics. Anyone I've spoken to in the last, say, two weeks, once that, that address was made on St. Patrick's Day, it was always, it was like really favorable response to the speech. Now, like personally, I didn't think there was much substance to it. And I understood that he's, Varadkar, Varadkar has never been somebody who isn't able to speak well in front of, A camera, especially when he's kind of standing by himself or in a debate situation, he's usually kind of can be quite level headed and doesn't get drawn into like tit for tat. But like, I've never seen this where one party support in Ireland has gone from such a poor, poor place to in the space of three weeks, obviously with the pandemic going on, it's just kind of rehabilitated, especially the the front three or the the three ministers that are are leading the response Colby, Faradkar, and Harris.
0: I think it's it's really interesting to see the sort of the comparisons between Varadkar, uh Boris Johnson and Trump. I think it's it's really interesting because we're caught in the middle of these massive countries where a little a tiny a tiny little island and then we've the US on, on our left and we have the UK on our right. And both those leaders have made an absolute mess of it. Of it Jeff. Absolute mess of it. Please. And we have we have someone like Trump going two hundred thousand deaths would be Positive. It would be, oh, Oh, two hundred thousand. That's brilliant. That's 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 fantastic. Great work, us. Pat in the back. And Boris Johnson was going around hospitals, COVID nineteen <laughs> patients shaking their hands, and ended up with the, thought, disease.
1: Did, did the, the disease. The problem with Boris Johnson, he thought he was Princess Diana because Princess Diana was shaking the hands of HIV patients in the eighties, and everyone loved her. So he was going around thinking he was Princess Diana, and ended up catching the virus like in Egypt. I just I
0: think it's I think that that's sort of another reason why it's sort of this Varadkar's has taken on this sort of um, role because there are people are looking over the UK going Jesus thank God we don't have Boris right now or oh, Jesus imagine Trump was leading uh, leading ill at the moment I oh, would be we'd be we'd be in a mess then but it's 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 really interesting because I I I'm like Rory really, I, I wasn't that look, looking back on it the, the speech wasn't particularly impressing impressive on St Patrick's Day and then his most recent address. Um, what he referenced Terminator, didn't he? Um, I mean, like, just it. it
2: more it, exception to him referencing Winston Churchill, to be honest. But oh
0: uh, yeah, that as well. <laughs> I can imagine people had a had a bit
2: of an issue with that.
0: But I just, I just don't know. Um, I think the, the popular support might just be coming because he's because at the time of a crisis, he gather around the leader, and also because he appears to be far more competent than. our our closest neighbours.
3: Yeah, I I think this is a a phenomenon uh, all around the world, kind of, Um, except for countries who've made it up to But even in, like, say, Italy and uh, Spain, to a lesser extent, the leaders aren't, like, being crucified or anything. There is a bit of a rallying round. And I I saw in France, uh, Macron is up to 40% approval rating. That's
1: that's that's that, sky high for his standards, record
3: height. Yeah. So it it is. It's. I don't know. I'm sure it's some psychologists will be will be looking into it.
1: Uh, even. Yeah. Sorry, Con, uh, But even in in America, obviously, the way that Trump has let us let each state take control, and some states and each county take control. But yeah. in New York, obviously, the, the sort of hardest hit area, Andrew Cuomo, the governor, has Hugely popular, and he was only after uh, going through a primary in 2018, where it was similar to the old Bernie Biden thing, where it's the establishment versus um, Cynthia Nixon, who was trying to he was was attacking him. And Andrew Cuomo has a lot of points to attack on, and now everyone's oh Cuomo for president, Cuomo for president, Cuomo for president, and it's just you know it's it's ridiculous how, or it's crazy how how, how, how there's probably some phenomenon how quick things can turn around around a leader. Uh, but I think, uh,
2: as also as well, like think about like there being like in, in the Irish context that the government at the moment is being lauded for the response on health. But think about the absolute shambles that the health brief has been for longer longer than the current government. To be fair, but twenty years. Like, all all the Yeah, exactly. But all the scandals that have years. come out in the last two or three years in regards to the health brief is it's, it's crazy how people are since you know since this has all begun people are kind of forgetting what's happening not even the the, the far the, the the like past going back to 20 to 30 years like they're forgetting things that have happened in the last two or three
0: i mean like you look at you look at what harris like he's the man loaded for building the world's most expensive hospital
2: and now yeah, or the surgical ear, an scandal as well. yeah like yeah.
0: i mean it's it's crazy how quick things turn, turn around and i'm really interested to see what happens in maybe 20 years when this sort of stuff is put into a history book <laughs> and what sort of outlook they get but i mean of course we won't really know until we do see the full outlook of this of this pandemic because i mean we are only three weeks into our our quarantine uh,
3: yeah as well i'll just say one thing uh i think around the whole um uh eighth amendment referendum there was a bit of a wave of you know support for harris the way he, he handled that but that that disappeared soon quickly enough after so I don't know if this will be, after the crisis ends, will it go straight down again? It'll be interesting to see. And there's obviously the famous example of, you know, Churchill being voted out straight after the war, even though he was seen as so uh, popular. So I don't
0: know. I think it'll be interesting to see what happens after this is all sorted out, whether or not we have a new government or if we're still being held by the caretaker. But I think, I think, now, with the with the Shannon the problem, as I'm going I'm to refer to it as, um, we, we might see things move a bit quicker um, in the next few weeks just because we can't pass legislation uh, anymore. Um, and we, we we spent a long time talking about that. We spent longer than I thought we talked about that. So I think we'll move on quickly to the Labour leadership elections. And what's interesting now about this is that we have two Labour leadership contests going on at the moment because we have one going on in Ireland and we also have the one going on in the UK. So we've had Labour had two disastrous elections. We had they had the one over here, lost one seat, and the one in the UK where they lost. I don't. They lost a lot of seats. I don't. I don't know how sixty, 60 or 70
1: They lost they had, a lot. They have more than six MPs. That's all I know. Yes, they do. <laughs> um,
0: they did lose a lot, uh, and we had the resignation of of Brendan Howland back in February, and then the resignation of Corbyn as well. So let's look at the two. Let's look at these two competitions, and let's look at sort of. Because they're kind of different. Like, I mean, we have different leaders uh, on the on the UK side, but we the, the, there's not is there that much difference between Alan Kelly and uh, Aon Arreda? uh really? I mean, I know just really where they're where they're coming from. I suppose one's from North Dublin, the other
1: one's from, uh, from Tipperary. Yeah, um, is there much of a difference? Not as much of a difference as there is between the candidates in the British. Uh, now, I don't follow I don't follow British politics as closely as, as I'm sure you do, Tig. I haven't really recently. I think it's been sort of dropped off because of the pandemic thing. Um, yeah, I've uh, as per usual I'm focused side, but I do I do know that the difference between Alan Kelly and Aidan Riordan isn't huge. I mentioned last week how I think Aidan Riordan is best placed in comparison to Alan Kelly to build up a Labour base to move them a little bit further to the left um, and sort of build from Dublin out. Alan Kelly, um, you know. You have to to look at his record. He has been on the sort of Labour health brief the last while, so he has been sort of their front attacking man on crises like the cervical check, the hospital things like that. We know he he has he, he you know he has been a TD the last five years, or was a on as a senator, um. So and then obviously Edin Ruram was the deputy leader to Joan Burton in the two thousand and eleven wipeout, um. Whereas Aaron O'Regan was one of the casualties of that wipeout, and obviously he's after to come back. Um, I, I there isn't a huge difference. I've even even listened to policy, listened to to things, and reading about them. I I don't see that. I don't see that. You know, like one of them is going to be Blairite and one of them is going to be Corbynite. It's not that sort of a split. Our Labour Party isn't like that. Um, uh, Looking at the odds on Paddy Power, I know Alan Kelly's one to seven. Aaron uh, O'Regan's four to one most closer than the British odds. But um, I said I said it last week, I think Alan Kelly has it. I don't think he's the best. I personally would think that Alan Reardon would be better for the party. Both of them have said that they wanted to, to to have some time on the opposition benches to rebuild base. And I kind of believe them on that because this, this is, it's not like there's only one election where they've lost. There's two elections in a row where they've been kicking the teeth. Which I think is so Labour have more of a need to stay in the opposition benches than the Greens or the Social Democrats do. Uh, So that's why I sort of believed them when they said they need to stay on those benches. Um, But, yeah, again, Alan Kelly to win. Aidan and Reardon, best place to build out a base. It'd be interesting to see if they they do have a deputy leader. And if so, who is that? And then out of these two leadership candidates, who gets to be spokesperson for what? Uh, Because that's sort of important for strategy as well, building on um, to try and build some sort of a base. Yeah,
3: yeah uh, uh interesting to look at Colin, go ahead. Uh yeah, just your question about it are they different. I think Shans right in terms of policy they're they're quite similar as a lot of the Labour Party, I think. There isn't it isn't as broad a church as the UK Labour Party. But uh I do think their emphasis is emphasis is different. Like Oreardon uh, he when he was a junior minister, I think, he um he was behind trying to set up inject, injecting centres in uh, the city centre and stuff like that, which was quite a, quite a progressive step. And he's also, I think he made a bit of a name for himself. He made a speech attacking Trump in the Shannon, which was picked up by uh, the media in the US. So he made a bit of a name for himself in that way. Whereas I think Kelly is more of, you know, probably as a product of he's from, you know, Tipperary, he's less, I don't know I hate the word, but O'Rourdon's more of a social justice warrior while, uh, you know, Kelly is, you know, hard-nosed Labour man from, and he's going to try to reconnect with the heartlands. But uh, it'll be be interesting to see anyway.
0: I think that's interesting. That's the the same comparison I heard um, at the leadership launch. that Alan Kelly's the real man from Tipperary. He's got these Labour roots. He's the ma- the one man to build this party back up and God God help him try and you know, he's gonna do the damn thing. Um because he's a real Labour man. And that's that's the, that's what I saw at his launch. Um and I, of course O'Reardan was always sort of this more based on social issues and bringing in um less maybe maybe less not less on policy wise, but uh always more socially inclined than than Kelly but again uh, Kelly was always very uh, a very good spokesperson against for holding the government to account on health I mean some of he's well known for the some of the, the tirades uh, that he's gone on against the government um, maybe tirades is the wrong word but like speeches against them um, but obviously he's he's lauded as having one of the loudest voices in it all but um, all
2: ak-47. Yeah, uh. <laughs> what 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 do you think, Rory? Like, just to, just to touch on kind of the, the, the word you used there, uh, Ty is like roots. Like, they're both kind of quoted as uh, I was reading an article in the journal earlier on, and they're saying like <coughs> Kelly's like wants to rebuild the party from the ground up and return to the roots and core values of the party, and you know, Reardon's looking at reevaluating reevaluating the party's core beliefs among as uh, aiming to be a young to a younger cohort of the elect electorate, but like what are Labour's core roots at this stage? You know what I mean? Like, they've pretty much abandoned them going back in the last decade. So, like, I don't really have a preference as to who who would prefer. I, I, as kind of Callum touched on, I do think that uh weird <clears throat> obviously working kind of setting up supervised injection of facilities and stuff like that. That's positive work in the city centre that needs to be done. And I know that I don't know whether or not a lot of them have been able to go ahead because of objections to like local businesses and stuff like that around where the being proposed areas have been. But uh like I, I, like I don't know. I don't know really to be honest. I don't know whether like there is there is either of the of the two nominees are prepared to bring the party back to where its actual core beliefs and its roots stem from, which is going back a hundred odd years, probably more, to actual Labour politics. I think it's it's interesting to look at because with the recent
0: election, we've seen sort of small, these, again, like the Social Democrats are a small left-wing party. And I think it it looks like there is broad support for a left-leaning coalition in Ireland. But it looks like there's, there's no single party that will tie that together like because it's, it's all sort of fractured and it's sort of like
1: these other parties are eating Labour's lunch. Um, yeah, just, just, yeah, just on it, the battle for the Labour Party now, politically, is to win back voters from Sinn Féin, primarily. You can't do that until you build back the trust that was lost from 2011 to 2016. Alan Kelly, being such a prominent member in that government, I don't think is the right man to do that. Because everyone's going to remember, well, I remember what you did when you were in charge of uh, housing, I believe it was, wasn't it? Or he was in some form of... Um, housing, yeah. During that government. Um, like, none of the six TDs they have are best, are perfect. None of them are. But again, you know, like, they, have to, they all have to sit down and say, look, we can't be, you know, the whipping boys for, you know, policies that went wrong for Fine Gael and Fianna Fall as we have been for most of our, our time, uh, especially in that five-year period. We have to try and shift ourselves over a bit, create a new identity, go back to, you know people are saying go back to the roots and you're right, Rory. you know they've lost their roots for the last while and you wonder if it's if they do try to move back, whether the party establishment and people've been there for a long while will be able to take that because they've been so used to having a, set, a certain set of policies and a certain way of doing things for so long. Something that the Social Democrats don't have because they're, they're a new party, they, you know they can shift over that left lane easier. Obviously Sinn Féin have always had that left lane to have sort of built a broader support on that. So it's 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 going to be difficult for Labour and I think Alvin Alan Kelly as leader will make it even more difficult for him to have any sort of credibility to 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 win back some of those Sinn Féin voters or voters that went to Sinn Féin. And I mean, if there's an election held in five years' time, I don't see Labour Party getting more than <laughs> 10 seats uh, unless something crazy happens, which I doubt.
2: And they're both candidates as well have been, you know, if you look at it, if you're just looking in terms of a delay or leadership race itself, like they've both been in the Shannon, or you know that they're, they're 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 experienced politicians, they've both been in they TDs. One of them's been in the Shannon, one's been an MEP. Um, sorry, two of them been, been in the Shannon. So like, I I think it's more like if you're going to actually look to progress the party going forward, it's about moving back towards to to towards the left and actually finding like a new kind of a new ideology or that, that they can connect with people on the ground because at the moment and in the last, as as Shane said, since 2011, haven't been able to do that at all with the electorate.
3: Yeah. Um, just a final point. Uh, I think it's interesting. I think a lot of, of people who are left leaning voted for Sinn Féin because they saw them as the most credible uh, alternative party to the, the big two. And I don't know, if Shin if that if that'll change in the coming elections. Because I, I do think in some ways there's a danger of Sinn Féin. While it's a popular idea, <coughs> I think Sinn Féin could become too obsessed with the idea of the United Ireland. And will that um, you know overpower some of their other policies? And will that will that then allow other left wing parties to take advantage of that? Which I think that could be an interesting thing to follow, because they're talking now with Sinn Féin about, you know, a border poll in the next few years, like to preparing for a border poll. So I think that could be an interesting angle in the coming years.
2: Do you think that, um, you know, like in terms of Sinn Féin supporters and stuff like that with Brexit, Brexit was one of the big things that people that support the party both North and South, that pushed, pushed that forward as a reason for a border poll to be accelerated. But like, I don't... <laughs> Personally, I think that this is kind of a the coronavirus is now the second thing second big event in the last say five years that has made the the shambles of there being a border at all more or less apparent, like the disparity between the north and the south's um like response to what's gone on has kind of really shed light on the fact that having a divided divided island isn't really practical at all to be honest yeah
3: it's yeah you you're right there but um Another t- I saw Joe Brawley talking about this, actually. You know, I don't know how he solves this problem. Uh, because, he, like, the coronavirus is uh, sec- a sectarian issue up north. It's, it's, I don't know how, he, how that deep division can be, can be solved. Because, you know, the DUP want to follow the advice from, from London. And um, Sinn Féin want to follow the advice from Dublin. Even a, pan- a pandemic. Can't, can't uh, you know uh, bring them together. So well, I
1: think there is a lesson I think that that, that could be learned from. I know. Uh, okay, that this probably would have been more um, sort of more prevalent had the UK stayed within the EU. But I think a lesson we learned from the, the system of the United States is that you know there are states which aren't. Uh, I, know, uh, I know I'm always banging on about America. But this is the way it is. It's a good lesson to be learned because there are states who aren't acting in states that are. There are counties that aren't acting in counties that are. If you have one central leader, as the EU could be, or the United Nations could be, or the World Health Organization could be, or even uh, another European organization could be, sort of telling all European areas to follow the one path guideline, all these smaller interests and parties won't be battling with each other and dividing each other over something which is so clearly set out as the health advice is for coronaviruses. Uh, so I, I, you're saying, obviously, the, the division in Northern Ireland is something that's very tricky to get over. Uh, during crises like that, you'd think that they'd be able to get together, but not. And I, I, I just think that, um, you know, that when it comes to a crisis, something that needs to be done immediately, there has to be a higher power that can come down and sort of, you know, bridge the gap by setting out some clear facts and then anything else, obviously, if, if there was to be a United Ireland, um, you know, we have more time to compromise on that, uh, which would take a long time.
0: Right. I'm going to, have to, I'm going to have to call it here, because I don't know how we got on to the topic of uh, United Ireland from the Labour leadership. I think that's very, very impressive, how we managed to sort of shift shift the conversation that much. But I think we're going to have to call it for this this episode. We, I initially did want to talk about the EU as well in this, but I think we'll have to leave that for next week, because we just don't have enough time. Um, so thank you very much for listening to this week's episode. Uh, I'd like to thank my three guests, Shane, Callum, and Rory. Thanks very much for being on. Um, thank you. Thanks for thank the, very thanks much for me your time. Uh, and we'll be back again next week uh, at the at the time of Friday uh, or Saturday, uh, depending on when the episode comes out. But probably around one of those two days. So thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye now.